This is the Smart Pizza Marketing Podcast, episode number 112. Hey, welcome back to the Smart Pizza Marketing Podcast, Saturday edition of the show. Usually we do a Q&A show here on Saturdays, but I wanted to send out this replay of our live show we did on Tuesday night, if you missed it. Every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, we go live over on Facebook or smartpizzamarketing.com forward slash SPM show for the latest episode. This is from two weeks ago. It was a great episode with Sean Browser, who is the CEO and founder of Pizza Fire with 30 plus locations, a lot of those coming on the back half of 2016. And he has many plans to open up many, many more locations in 2017. Sean dropped some great information and I really wanted to share this on the podcast today because I think it'll be super valuable. This is actually his second time joining us on the podcast. He came on the show back in 2015. But 2016 was a tremendous year for him, and he comes on and explains what he did and how he did it. We talk about franchising, what to look for in locations, how to hire people, how to train your managers, what kind of product you should have moving forward, and then what's going to be coming for the pizza industry in 2017 and beyond. Sean shared some great information, and I really wanted you to hear that on the podcast, so that's why I'm replaying this episode for you today. If you're listening to this when it comes out on Saturday... You want to shoot me a question for our Tuesday show? Bruce at smartpizzamarketing.com is our is my email for that. Also, if you want to get a weekly update of what's really working, you know, we curate the best articles and also share some of our best tips for marketing, what's working right now in a couple locations. You can follow me on Snapchat at smartpizzatips. I always show behind the scenes of what we're doing for our clients that's working right now. And our email newsletter that goes out every week, that's smartpizzamarketing.com forward slash email. Sign up for that. You won't regret it. All right, let's get into this episode with Sean Browser, CEO and founder of Pizza Fire. Here we go. So what's up, man? How you been? I know you've been really busy. Let's talk about sick of watching what you have going on with Pizza Fire, because I know that you've already opened a bunch of locations. I'll get this. I can see you everywhere. Yeah, we opened. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we, I started Pizza Fire about two years ago. Um, we opened our first location uh, over the last two years. We've opened uh, 15, so we have 15 open. Crazy. A lot of them came in the back half of last year, so it was just one after another. Um, we started uh, franchising nationwide, so we've sold uh, franchises in uh, Los Angeles. We've sold all of Nashville, all of South Florida, uh, Tampa, um, Atlanta, Houston. Atlanta and Houston are, are going to open in the next six weeks. Uh, we've, we've got Connecticut, we've got New Jersey, um, Pittsburgh. Um, so it's we're in the pipeline. We've got 35 stores opening this year, which should put us close to that 50 mark. Um, and then next year, it's just off to the races. Where you said so you're in Florida right now. You said you're kind of on semi vacation, workation we call it, where you. You know, and when you're a CEO yeah. and you're, you know, running a business, there's no vacation. You're always working, regardless of what you are. You no. maybe just at a different location, yeah. but you're always working. Um, so here's my thing: if you're ever looking for a guy to help you in marketing and move to Florida, I'm your guy. Okay. Gotcha. I got your resume. It's, yeah. You know, no problem at all. All right, I'll shoot you the PayPal link to give you some some funds too. Okay. <laughs> so what's so let's talk about because I know that the people who are watching this show are obviously in the pizza industry or they're looking to grow their pizza shop. Maybe they have one location now or they want to expand to two and three. And they always seem to have that problem where they can't get themselves out of the business. How did you manage to say, hey, I'm going to start a business. I have 15 locations now. 
I'm going to set up a process where people, you know, I can run a business without having to be in there. What was the, how did you do that? Right. Well, it, you know, it takes time. I mean, the first time, my first business had, uh, I, I bought a place in New Jersey and I was 24 years old and, uh, I couldn't figure out how to get out of the business. I worked, I worked it every day, uh, burned myself out, you know, always wanted to have multiple units, but never put the, the processes in place, um, the systems that would, uh, allow me to get away from it. They're everything dependent on me. And so uh, I took that knowledge and, and that's when I started Romeo's. Uh, I couldn't um, figure out mom and pop and, uh, you know, took four years after I bought Romeo's to put together the systems, the processes. Um, Big Dave came and, and, and consulted with me. So, you know, I give a lot of credit to him uh, teaching me what it would take to make it uh, duplicatable. Right. So right. that's the key is you've got to be able to not be working in your pizza restaurant and, or in your business uh, and have it function just as well as without you, sometimes even better. So, um, you know, we, we built that and, and four years later started to uh, open new stores. Um, I, along the way, I won quite a few pizza contests. So that helped with credibility when we opened new stores and um, I knew we had a, a good product and the right, you know, um, the right product. So I think that's a key thing for people to also know, right? If your first store isn't killing it, um, you need to work on that first before you go open a second store. Right. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of guys I know that maybe they're doing eight, nine, 10,000 a week. They want to go open another store. The reality is they probably don't have everything fine-tuned enough or the product isn't quite right uh, in order to do that because in order to duplicate you depending on your application I mean you've got to be 15 to 20 thousand a week as a minimum uh, because what you you know when you double the size of your company you've got to be able to support the overhead that that takes um, uh, to be able to pull you out of it right. so um, that's a that's a key piece of uh, advice I give everybody who talks about you know being the next Romeo's and opening a bunch of stores. Do you think people rush it too much? I think they mentally rush it, right? They, so they, you know, it, cause it's an exciting thing. I mean, right. opening stores is exciting and it's fun. And, um, you know, there's an adrenaline rush to it, but at the end of the day, you're, you're stuck there with, you know, the pile of whatever you created. Right? <laughs> so it has to work or you're just stuck with a pile. Um, so, you know, I think, if you if you put the pieces in place, you've got to have a great manager who's going to take over that restaurant um, so that you can go build that second one. Um, I think that's the formula. I think you have to have um, really good product in order to do it because there's just so much competition in the pizza world. I mean, you know, I drive up and down uh, today and I saw three new pizzerias and, you know, opening yeah. basically. And it's, you know, they're just constantly adding pizza. So in that competitive environment, you have to be exceptional. You can't just be average or pretty darn good or, you know, everybody loves us, that kind of thing. It doesn't work. Right. Now, I know that your product is obviously the most important thing when it comes to running a successful business because if you have a bad product, there's nothing that you can do to help you. There's no process. There's no system. There's no marketing that's going to help you get better if you have a bad product. So that being set aside, what else can you do to kind of set yourself apart 
and grow a big business. So say you have a good product, you get good reviews online and you want to be, mm-hmm. you know, the, the thing about nowadays is you have to kind of set yourself apart. Like you said, there are so, there is so much competition out there. Are there anything that right. you, is there anything that you can do to do that? Or what do you do to do that? Yeah. Well, I mean, with pizza fire, you know, we, we try to really the fast casual pizza market is brand new and exploding, but there's, there's probably 10 or 12 legit competitors who are either bigger than us already or, you know, running right alongside us and we're catching, um, you know, there's four or five that have a hundred units. So it's a, you know, it's a real estate rush for us is to get these stores open and get some traction. But the, the key thing then is how do you differentiate once yeah. everybody's sitting there in the market and you've got, you know, the corners are covered, how do you differentiate um, your product and, or what you do, right? So you can differentiate um, a, a whole myriad of ways Look at like a Jimmy John's. They their subs really aren't. No offense, Jimmy John's. They're really not that great. <laughs> sure, they're not watching. But they, get, they they can deliver to you in four minutes, right? right? I mean, it's that's how they differentiate. Um, for us at Pizza Fire, we differentiate with fresh. Uh, we have fresh live basil growing in the stores. We have fresh romaine lettuce that is hydroponically grown in the stores. So when you get your, you know the your salad it's literally just been picked um we don't have freezers fryers or microwaves so we've really tried to focus on uh, that as the fresh the true fresh um aspect of the pizza um and 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 i think it works because you know it's one thing to sit you know a lot of those things anybody can do that but if you're not saying it if you're not telling your customers that if you're not broadcasting across the world that you have fresh then you just kind of it doesn't matter it's not a differentiator so when you were you started with do you start with romeo's my well my first one was called al john's it was a little mom and pop in central new jersey and then you started did you change the name of that to romeo's or did you open another one i sold it moved back to ohio and then and then bought romeo's and what when you were you know, building Romeo's out, how many locations did you have when you exited? Uh, we had 35. What made you say, all right, I built a, you know, a great business. I have 35 locations. Let me go start all over again. <laughs> um, just seeing trends in the industry, right? Okay. So fast casual is such a huge trend uh, in the entire restaurant industry. And before you couldn't really do pizza. The only fast casual pizza would be the slice application where you get a slice and and to me, that was just a reheated, you know, it's not very good. It comes out of the oven, it's really good. Right. So <clears throat> I was on the uh, Pizza Industry Council, uh, which is part of the National Restaurant Association. And, you know, I kind of showed up and and this is all they talked about was fast casual pizza and how it's coming across the country, coming from California. And you had guys like Blaze and Pizza Rev and, yeah. um, you know, a whole bunch of them. And nobody had it in Ohio. So I said, you know, if we can get uh, a bunch of stores open, get top of mind and get the best real estate, um, I know we can put together the product because, you know, going to Italy and competing, I know the product side of it really well. I brought, brought people in to help me. Uh, Bruno DeFabio is one of my partners. Um, I, Tony Gemignani helped, uh, you know, talk through some recipe stuff. Uh, and, and we really um, put together what I think is the best pizza in that entire fast casual um, 
setting. So, you know, I guess it was uh, um, when I looked at the competitive nature of pizza and, you know, Delco is so competitive, yeah. so saturated. You still see Pizza Hut and Papa John's doing six and seven and eight and ten dollar pizzas. And it's just so hard to compete at that level where I wanted to just try and branch out and, and compete at, at, with nobody for a little while. And when you opened that location, did you have the mindset of, hey, I'm going to open a certain number of it? Or was it just like, let me just open this one, test it out, see how it goes, and then we'll go from there? I'm on a little bit of both. I, I'm always a big thinker, um, a big planner. So the plan was to go public. Yeah. Um, but that first store had to be a testing ground. I mean, we had to prove some things out. We had to make sure that, you know, the processes we had were in place. And, and you know, two years later, we're still writing the, the, the manuals. I mean, we're just, it's a constant improvement, constant upgrade. How can we differentiate a little bit better on service? How can we, you know, do salads a little bit better? How can we, you know, yeah. everything? So um, we've come, you know, we didn't know it all two years ago and we don't know it all now, but um, it's a constant improvement too. I think that, I don't think anybody always knows it all because it's, it's everything changes so quickly, whether it be the laws or the minimum wage or the ingredients that you can use, everything's constantly changing. So it's good to, you know, do what you said, try to go to these events or become part of these councils and communicate with people in the industry because the more you do that, the more you may be able to see trends like you did in kind of pivot so you can take a step forward rather than being sideways, which yeah. happens to most people. You know, I, I, I've spoken a lot, many times at pizza expos and, um, and other pizza events. And, and the one thing I noticed that there's so many guys that, that are so stubborn and stuck in their ways. And so when, when I say I don't know it all, I'm dead serious. I don't. <clears throat> um, I've been called an expert, but I still, I read books every day. I study. I'm trying to find something new. You know, you've got to be, and people I'm sure that, that are online watching this are people who are flexible, right? They, they've got to be able to make those pivots. It's not, well, we've always done it this way, so we've got to keep doing it that way. Right. You know, they have to question everything. When I say do, I don't know it all, I figure out that's the best, best thing to do uh, with the new information you have as an expert. But I yeah. I totally agree with that. You got to constantly be learning. And if you, the day you stop learning is the, the day that your competition is just going to go right by you. Yeah. So you, eat your lunch. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. How, so what are you using now? Cause obviously you've innovated when it comes to your product and the brand and the technology you use inside your store. What are you doing outside your store to get the word out to your consumer when you go to a new market? So <clears throat> we, we really blast everything we, that we've ever used. Right. So, We'll do um, we'll do a little bit of TV, especially if we're in a smaller market where we can hit some cable um, inexpensively. So we'll put some budget toward cable TV commercials um, for two weeks or so, just enough to get some uh, exposure. We do a direct mail program where we, we um, bombard you know a two mile radius with some flyers, a menu, kind of explaining. Uh, what we do, uh, sometimes we do coupons, but I hate coupons, and so I don't <laughs> have coupons because, you know, yeah. people just expect them then, right? Yeah. So I think we're cool enough that you'll come try it without a coupon. Um, <clears throat> and if we're not, then I've got to fix the cool part, part of it. So, um, and then we'll um, we do a, a huge Facebook. Uh, we have a huge Facebook following. I built that 
over the last two years to over 30,000 followers, um, you know, and a lot of that time was with one or two or five stores. So, you know, I'm really proud of that. We've got Instagram, we've got Twitter, we, you know, cause you reach different people at each level. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I hired a social media, uh, guru manager, uh, employee that, um, all he does is social media. He creates content constantly because content has to be, uh, something that'll stop the scroll, right? right. People on their phones are scrolling that something has to catch their eye within one second or you're just scrolled by and you, they missed you. So, right. um, that's kind of really, and then we just follow up with that same formula of just hitting social media, um, a little bit of direct mail. Um, and, and we try to get that PR level of getting TV stations to come out to a grand opening or doing a morning show or, you know, we sponsored this <clears throat> football, high school football recap thing in Cleveland. And it was horrible, horrible show. <laughs> like, <laughs> I laughed at it every time, but it, people were watching it. So was it, a, was it a local show? Yeah, just local Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> Public broadcasting, is that what it was? <laughs> it was our it was our Fox affiliate. So, oh, okay. you know. So if you had to say, all right, here's my my pie. This is 100 percent of my pie. What and you had to divide it up into, you know, direct mail, TV, PR, social media. What would you say the percentages would be? For us, I would say um, social media is probably 40. Yeah. Um, direct mail is probably 40, and then TV, radio would be about 20. Okay. And when you do direct mail, is it direct mail? <clears throat> you know, when you are entering a market and then continuously through the, when you're there, or is it something like you want to, when you first go to a market, you want to drop a lot of direct mail to get them to know who you are. And then you kind of transfer to social media to follow up with that process. Yeah. And that, that's what we've done. And, and moving into this year, we're going to put more of a uh, routine direct mail program together where we can drop a thousand or 2000 a week, just in our, in our little area to make sure people see it. Yep. Um, <clears throat> because the thing is you, you never know how people are going to come into your store. They don't, and they don't even know. Right. right? Sometimes we'll say, oh, I saw you on TV and we didn't have a commercial run. or, you know, so we time it up with TV, radio, sponsorship, local store marketing, where we actually go out and, you know, get people in, uh, interested at the business level to, to come in for lunch or whatever. Um, so, you know, there's just a lot of, five, six prongs of the marketing tool that we, you know, constantly use and it changes all the time. So <clears throat> like we would use, I remember, at, you know, at Romeo's we would have Advo um, and, and it would be, we'd drop an Advo and it was like a bomb went off. We just killed it. Yeah. And then six months later we drop an Advo and it's like, nobody even looked at it anymore. Right. Right now town money savers, the thing. To so now we're dropping flyers in town money saver till it stops working. So, you know, that, that cycle has to be evaluated um, pretty quickly uh, every month just to make sure you're doing it the right way and it worked and, and whatever works, do more of it right. until it stops working. Even social media is the same way. You know, things that worked on Facebook a year ago. I know you and I talked over a year ago and you were heavily doing your, your Facebook marketing. I remember we talked about it on the podcast and, you know, you were actually mm -hmm. taking control of that and doing it. Um, and the things that you were doing a year and a half ago probably don't work like they did a year and a half ago. 
Yeah, the, yeah, it's not it's not quite the same. I mean, I wish it was because it was easier. Right. Um, but competing now against more uh, people that want to get in front of you know consumers' eyeballs. So yep. you know, we do a lot more video. We do a lot more um, you know kind of cool content stuff. Um, and, and and then we've got to innovate. We've got to come up with new products that say, hey, I'm going to get off the couch and go get that pizza because that one looks really good. Right. So I think the mistake. And this happens in, you know what, they're pizza people. So they're not like, they're not marketers. They're not into marketing. They just want to get their message out there. And I think the mistake a lot of people make is taking the direct mail message and then putting that on social media. And then they, it doesn't work. And then they say, you know what, social media doesn't work for me. Yeah. And it's yeah, not. Yeah, and your message, yeah, whatever you put on Facebook doesn't work on Twitter. Right. You know. Different audiences. Like, yeah, my kids don't even have a Facebook. They, you know, they do and they don't even use it, right? So right. if I tried to talk to them about, you know, whatever on, on Twitter, they would just not, not, it wouldn't work. Right. So it's a, each, each, each social network has its own audience and you have to talk to that audience in the way that they want to be talked to. You know, it, people on Instagram are different than people on Facebook. Like you said, the demographic on Snapchat is different than all of them. Um, so you gotta yeah. you, you gotta kind of use them in the way that they want to use it, but uh, you know a lot of people don't know know that they just want to push their message out and they they make the mistake of doing the same thing across each platform the same exact way. And I see a lot of like uh, people that want to uh, be like that social media uh, person uh, company will come and say, well, we'll handle all your social media for you. And I don't you know I think that, that that's a good guideline sometimes, but. You've got to be in control of your content because it's your message, yep. it's your passion that you've got to portray. If, you, if there's no passion in the message, then it's just a commercial and nobody cares. Exactly. Right? So, uh, you know, you, you've got to have at least um, uh, some, enough control that your passion can come through in the in those messages. You got to talk in the per, in the company's voice. You you can't, you know. And I I think I talked about this on my last episode. I did a 2016 recap, and I said. There's a lot of companies out there, and I know why, because we we do it. You know, we we have a company that does marketing for pizzerias, but we specifically work for pizzerias, and we know those because I was in the pizzeria business. We know what works, and you see the hesitation with owners say, "Hey, I, I hired a company before and it didn't work." And I go to look at their Facebook page, and it sucks. I know it. I know why it doesn't work. Yeah. It's because the company yeah. is just a marketing company. They're not like they don't work in the pizza industry. They don't know what to say. They just say it vanilla across the whole thing not to offend anybody or not to say the wrong thing and it it comes across as a marketing company doing it and it doesn't work right right exactly so like you said you got to mix it up use a little bit of video try to try to i always tell people and you know when you're posting on social media try to think of it from the consumer's perspective not yours like we know what we want to do we want to we want to sell you stuff obviously (laughs) but but the consumer doesn't want to be sold. So you have to think of it that way. Like if you were uh, scrolling on Facebook, would you want to read that ad? Great. Yeah. You know, it's See, not... that's the thing. Consumers don't want to buy a pizza. I mean, nobody <laughs> wants to buy it. Right. They, they're fulfilling a different need. They're either hungry or they have a, you know, they're really like that food or, you know, it's not just, Oh, I can't wait to go spend 20 bucks on pizza today. It's, <laughs> you really, nobody says that. No, nobody says that. You got to fulfill that need, you know. Yeah. You got to create that need first with great video, great pictures, and say, "Wow, that looks really good. How do I get that?" And then, and then you continue that message. Right. Um, 
I totally agree with you. Let's pivot a little bit because I want to – I think we, we covered the social media thing. You can go check out Pizza Fire on Facebook and Instagram because they do a good job on that. Whoever you have doing it for you does a good job. Um, let's talk about the second question I get asked a lot and I want to cover real quick is finding people. How do, so obviously you're going to open 30 locations. Man, manpower or woman power has to be something you've obviously looked into and are, have either figured out or you're trying to figure out. What do you look for in – an employee to grow your business and help you in the management role and down to the, you know, regular first timer role. Yeah. So both, I guess everybody in that, in the company has to have, has to be a nice person. I know how stupid that sounds, but like for <laughs> us, part of what we do is, is we serve customers open kitchen and we want every employee to say hi to every customer because it makes a huge difference. So, if they're not good at that, they're not going to, you know, I can teach anybody to make a pizza. I just can't teach people to be nice. Um, so, you know, that's one of the things that a challenge is, as we've grown so fast is, is kind of vetting that out uh, and getting better at that. Um, from a management standpoint, you know, we're looking for people who are successful, have jobs, aren't necessarily looking. They could be looking, but it's not because they have got, they got fired and they're just waiting. So, you know, there were so many times where we would hire managers that had great resumes and experience, but they didn't have a job. And, you know, and it just never seemed to work out right. right. Because, um, you know, we we now look for people that, that are successful. So we'll try to go poach somebody. Um, we'll talk to them about, you know, what we do different and why it makes a difference. And here's your schedule. Like, you're going to have a, a good schedule. You're going to work 50 hours a week. But. You, know, you get two days off and you you know there's just there's benefits there's so there's <clears throat> a good pay so there's a lot of things that you've got to go recruit um, versus just sitting back waiting for an application to come in because <clears throat> most likely that application is not coming in the one that is truly going to help you build your business so you're almost taking a more direct approach where you're saying hey listen if there's a manager out there and they're out and about you know we're handing out our cards and we're we're headhunting. We're looking for people. If we're at, no matter where we are, we could be at the department store. We could be at the yeah. grocery store. We could be at McDonald's. If we see someone do something great, we're gonna go talk to them. That's what you do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because you know that person. You know, maybe you're at Home Depot, and you know he may not want to go in the restaurant business, but you know somebody that does, and, and good people tend to flock together. So, yep. you know, it's one of those things where. Um, you got to be proactive. You can't just sit back and wait for the applications to come in. We still put things out on Craigslist, and, um, you know, Indeed, and uh, that stuff for the at the store level. But most of the time, you know, our, our GMs were either growing in house or, uh, you know, we're getting people who are coming from other organizations uh, and, and uh, already already are successful. Right. We talked about that on the show before. You know, we said. You know, most of the time, you know, not all the time, but most of the time, good employees or good future employees aren't looking for a job. They may have a job already and they may have thought about changing career paths or changing jobs, but they're not necessarily jobless. Right. Right. It's kind of a, yeah, it's kind of a, uh, uh, I don't know what the word would be. It, it, it sucks for the guy that is jobless, but. I mean, there's certain um, circumstances, yeah. Yeah, I'm not saying every single person that doesn't have a job don't hire them. I'm just saying that the majority of the time, if you're a really good worker and you have a good work ethic and a good attitude, finding a job is not going to be that hard for you. Right, right. Especially nowadays, you know, finding a job isn't – it depends on what their attitude is. But if they're maybe to have that entitled attitude and, you know, 
you see that they've tried to apply at 10 different places and they don't get hired, maybe that's a red flag. Yeah, that's a flag. <laughs> you know, you stay away from that person. So, <laughs> so let's, what, so you're going to open 15 locations. What, what is the thing that you look for in opening a new location? Uh, for us, number one is real estate. Uh, real estate is just so tight in almost every market we're in. Um, I joke and say we need a, a good solid recession just to kind of reset things a little bit because, you know, <laughs> rents are higher and landlords are, you know, not as nice as they could be. Right. Um, so finding a good location is number one. Uh, first and foremost, you've got to have good access. You've got to have good visibility from the street. You've got to be in the right demo. Um, whatever demographic you're going after, you have to make sure you're going to be able to get to them and they can get to you. Um, so those are, that's the most important part of a new location to us, uh, is the real estate side. Um, you know, second is just, is just understanding the, the demographics and who we're trying to attract. And if, if there's enough daytime population, enough rooftops, um, to be able to do, you know, a million dollars a store, which right. is what our projection is. Do you, uh, I got a question here from Garrett. Can I read it real quick? Yeah. All right. So Garrett asked, with new regulations, are 50-hour work weeks still possible or problematic? Because salaries over 40 hours convert to by the hour. You were rude. Yeah, this is – we've done this for years, and this is the easiest thing you can do. Yeah. Okay? Um, and I feel like I've, I've told people this forever, but – Tell them again. Yeah. So everybody – all right, let's say you give a guy – you tell a guy he's going to make $40,000. And it's based on 50 hour work week. Okay. So you convert the 40,000 into an hourly wage where he's getting 40 hours of regular, 10 hours of overtime. So that's 55 total. Okay. You add those up. So you divide the 40,000 by 55 to come up with that hourly weight rate divided by 52, 52 weeks. So now you have a guy, if he works his 50 hours, he gets his $40,000 salary. If he works more, you pay him more, right? If he a bad week, he's working 55 hours. I never want to have a guy on my staff who is working more hours, not getting paid. Right. Very unproductive hours and not very happy doing it. Right. right? It, it also encourages them to hit that 50 because a lot of times if we had a guy at 50 hour salary, it would turn into 47. Then it would turn into 45, right? And right. I never quite got my value out of that 50. So put everybody on an hourly wage. It doesn't hurt you. It only helps you on either side of that 50. Um, and it, it gives you an opportunity to, um, you know, pay somebody to do the work you want them. And then, you know, if they don't do enough, then you don't, you don't get charged for it kind of thing. Right. So, so, uh, everybody, overtime, yeah, so everybody's an hourly employee, basically. You basically just taking his salary that you're saying he's going to make and dividing it by the hours he works over 50 hours yeah. a week. Yeah, so he's getting his overtime hours. Those last 10 hours, he's getting time and a half for them. It's just factored into your numbers. Right. Did I read somewhere that you were an accountant or you went to school to be an accountant? Yeah, I was a CPA before I was a pizza guy. So, so you got a little head start uh, when it comes to this stuff. Do you still keep track of all that? <laughs> uh, no, man. Not anymore. I, it, the, the accounting thing has kind of flown by me. We've got accounting firms and controllers and accountants and, you know, but I know I can, I can talk through any of it. Right, right. You got to be aware of it, obviously, you know, even if you don't know the exact details, but you got to be aware of how you want to, you know, work the business. 
Yeah, for sure, because it's all numbers to me. I mean, our, if a store doesn't hit its food costs or it doesn't hit its labor, then you're not going to make money in the store. There's just no way around those two things. Right. So, um, you you know, and you can have whatever food cost you want. Um, <clears throat> you have to weigh your cheese. You have to weigh your toppings. You have to, you have to make sure everybody gets exactly the pizza that you think is the, the perfect pizza. You want to put a pound of cheese on, put it on, but you've, you've got to factor that into your calculations so that everybody gets that pound of cheese. Everybody, right. nobody gets shorted, nobody gets too much. Um, and, and that's how you, that's how you can multiply your stores. Everybody, every pizza buyer, hopefully, allegedly, you get the exact same pizza. <laughs> that's the goal. Right? That's the constant yeah. battle. That's the battle we fight every day. Let me ask you real quick, before I, before I let you go, I know you want to, I know I said I keep you to 30 minutes here. What is your uh, labor cost? Not like the percentage that you aim for labor and food costs. We aim for like a 30 food cost and a 30 labor. Okay. So we call it the 30, 30 club. And when I say 30 for food, I count everything coming off a truck, the paper, the cleaning, everything that's consumed on a weekly basis in your business. Okay. Um, and then labor, I include taxes and workers comp and all that. Uh, if you can bring 40 points down to gross profit margin, um, you know, chances are you're going to, you're going to make a good, a good amount of money on your store, especially in, in a high volume store. Nice. So if you, if you miss your labor by 2%, you miss labor by three, that's 5% of your net 15. You've lost a third of your income because you didn't take care of two little numbers. Right. right? So it's very important. How often are your margins off? You would you say like, cause I know there's a lot of people watching that say, you know, I try to do that, but sometimes it's off. Is it doesn't, if there's, if there's like a, okay, 25% of the time over the course of a year, if you're off, there's something going wrong. Cause everybody can go up and down. Yeah. yeah I mean, you'll have, you'll have some minor fluctuations, but we do a weekly inventory. We do a weekly food cost. Um, so we, we track each store each week. We know exactly what the, the actual food cost was of each store. Um, and, and you can see if it's a trend or if, you know, maybe uh, we have one store our Cleveland store. We do so much carry out versus everybody else that the boxes actually cost us. It's a 1% difference, right? <laughs> so in Cleveland, we're, we're 31 because we carry out so much. Wow. Um, but, you know, not knowing where those are going with the weekly inventories. I mean, I know a lot of guys don't do those. They, they it's, you know, you get bored doing right. inventory. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's the key to the whole thing. I mean, if you don't take care of that number labor wise, you know, we schedule based on projected sales for the day. So we go into the day saying, okay, if we do $3,000 a day, we've got $800 in labor, whatever. And, and then if we don't hit that 3000 the manager's duty is to get labor down by cutting those hours, right? We've, we've made it perfect in the schedule. So once he feels that, <clears throat> you won't always catch it all, but you'll be able to save some hours um, and, and, and salvage your labor uh, on a Monday, Tuesday, so that by the time you get to Friday, you're not trying as hard as you can to, to play catch up from the whole week. Right, right. I got one more question here from Rich. Richard says, do you break out labor by management and team, or is it 50% a combined total? Um, <clears throat> it's 30. I combine everybody. Um, so management you know, and staff is 30%. Correct. Okay. So 30% of your payroll is all staff, no matter if they're a manager, if they're a cashier or a cook or whatever they are. Right. I don't include like my district manager or my regional managers in that or any of the corporate overhead. This is just pure at the store level 
anybody that's working because my GMs are working managers. So. Right. But you're a more you're a bigger company, so he's probably maybe saying for his one location, or maybe he has two locations. He might not have a district manager. Yeah. No, I I include them all in, and, and you know I I give the GMs bonuses if they hit their numbers. I mean it's a you know it's one of those things where it's a shared uh, profit center. So if they hit their numbers, they're going to get a bonus. If they don't hit them, they're not going to get a bonus, and they are going to get written up and, and possibly eventually lose a job. So right. Which is what everybody should do. If you don't perform, you know, there's no eighth place. Like my my daughter, there's no eighth place trophies. You know, no, there's no, <laughs> there's no second place trophies right. in this game. You win or you lose. You know, that's how it is in business. <laughs> All right, Sean, thank you so much for taking the time. Where can people find? I know you're a franchise, so if you want to have more interest, if anybody's watching this, they're interested in your franchise. Where can they go to get some info? Yeah, if you go to our website, uh, pizzafire.com, um, we've got a huge section on franchising. There's a lot of great available. Area is still available. Um, we really focus on support and, and helping people make money, uh, which is the key. Uh, so, you know, if you're if you're interested in that and want to get into that fast casual thing, uh, you know, I think Pizza Fire is perfect. Um, and I just really appreciate you having me on tonight and, and being part of the, the first uh, inaugural uh, kickoff here. Yeah, so. 2017 off to a bang right here. Number one show. Number one show for 2017 <laughs> so far. All right, John, I appreciate it, man. I, I, uh, I'll appreciate it. I'll link everything up in the show notes, too, if you're watching this later. Go down to, if you're watching this on you or over on the website, uh, I'll link all Sean's Facebook, his website, everything up in there so you can go take a look at what they're doing. Sean, I appreciate it, man. Awesome. Thanks, brother. I'll see you later. All right, see you, man. All right, happy new year. Happy new year to you, too. Thanks. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining. Thank you to Sean. Go check out what he's doing over at pizzafire.com. I will link that up in the show notes, like I said. Thank you for watching, taking the time out of your Tuesday night to tune in to us. Thank you to Sean. He's a busy, busy guy. He's going to open up 30 locations this year. So taking the time to come on the show, talk to us about what he's doing, give us the inside scoop so we can kind of take what, he, what he's done and learn from that is great. So appreciate that. Thank you so much. I am Bruce. If you want to go check out the podcast, you can go check it out at smartpizzamarketing.com. We on our iTunes and Stitcher Radio. If you need help with your marketing, Definitely go check out the website, smartpizzamarketing.com. Tons of great free information over there. We also have our mastermind group that we're going to be starting up soon. If you're interested in you know, meeting up with other owners who are like-minded like yourself, want to meet once or twice a month, figure out what's working, hash out some ideas together, you should definitely go check that out over at smartpizzamarketing.com forward slash mastermind. And, of course, we have our, master, our Smart Pizza Marketing Solutions done-for-you marketing. If you're an individual shop or two, three locations and you – you know, want to figure out what's working for Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, email marketing, website. You should definitely go check us out there. We've helped lots of operators already and have some good data over there. We can show you that too. All right, that's it for me. I'm going to sign off on this Tuesday night Pizza Marketing Insights. Thank you guys so much for watching, and we'll see you next week.